Happy New Year's! It's 2020! And I really don't know what to do about that. Not that I don't have plans for the future, or that I don't know what I want to do for the year to come, but the problem is, when I was a child, anytime you wanted to set a story in the not-too-distant future, it was set in 2020. And it's 2020 now, and it's doing weird things to my head. I never really thought about what it would be like to live in the not-too-distant future. And now I'm here, and I'd like to talk about it on today's Project Shadow. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? Happy New Year. My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And yeah, I feel really weird this year. I felt weird in all the time running up to New Year's. But fear not. This isn't one, going to be one of those episodes where I just talk about my feelings, even though it really could be because uh, it's strange. But I want to talk about this whole idea of the not-too-distant future and what was predicted and what we actually have. But before we get into all that, if you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people. And the more people that listen, the bigger the community. The bigger the community, the better the chance we have of actually communicating with each other. And after all, that's why I do this in the first place. Thank you so very much to everyone who's already done that. Alrighty. No, I really do mean it. When I was a kid growing up, everything, and I mean everything, was about the near-distant future. It's not too far, but it's just far enough that it seems unattainable. Even cyberpunk games were Cyberpunk 2020, and all those things that were just out of reach, they took place in 2020. And people dreamed of what we would have we would be exploring other worlds, maybe even have a base on the moon by now. We would have holograms and hover cars and jetpacks. And we don't have any of those things. And I'm not here to opine, as I've done so many times in the past, of saying, where's my hover car? Because I understand why that would be a bad thing, and I understand some of the difficulties in making that happen. But still, where's my hover car? Where's my jetpack? Where are my holograms? I remember when I was a kid, going down to the mall and seeing games in the arcade that used holograms and thinking, mm, this is the future. And here we are in 2020, 30 years later, and we're no closer to having holograms all over the place than we were back then. Well, that's not true. We've developed quite a few different holographic technologies. They even have one that you can touch now. It's creepy. It uses sound waves and creates haptic feedback in the air. It's just in the theoretical stage and nowhere near ready to go out into the world, but it does exist. VR is a thing now. If you're 
one of those people lucky enough to have a computer strong enough to actually do it, and the money to spend on the extra equipment that goes along with it. I'm not one of those people. I look at my computer and I kind of pet it on the side and say, you know, you can really run a game, just not the ones that we want to play. But that's just where we are. It's a strange world. I never could have imagined the internet back then, and the internet was prophesied by most of these works that talked about the near-distant future. Most of the TV shows had some version of network access, though none of them seemed to understand exactly what it would look like. And even I didn't understand what it was going to look like when I finally got access to the internet, back in the days of Prodigy, when it kind of was the internet. And you were either on Prodigy or AOL or a few other things. I remember BBSs and actually calling somebody's phone number so that you could get onto the local network, the local bulletin board, and see what was going on. Maybe to play a mud or something. And here we are now. It's 2020 and MMOs are stale and nobody has an imagination or anything to make open-world games anymore. Everything's a theme park, and you either play the game or you don't, because creativity is lost. Social media came about and changed everything. I'm able to get glimpses of my friends' lives so far away and never really know what to say about my own. And Yeah. The world has become a smaller place, and a bigger one, all at the same time. And when I look back at all those stories about the near-distant future, which I always loved that phrase, near-distant future, it's distant because it's, so, it's far enough away, it's hard for you to imagine what your life's going to be like then, but it's not Star Trek. It's not the 23rd or 24th century. It's something you'll actually live to see more than likely. And I did. And I have to say, I'm not impressed. Not that the stories were all wrong. Like I said, I carry the equivalent of a supercomputer around in my pocket. I mean, it's hard to imagine having the processing power that our modern phones do. And I have a television that I can talk to, and lights that obey the commands of my voice. That's nice. That's futuristic. I have robots that I can talk to in the house, from my Echo to my HomePod. But, yeah, that's not exactly the robot I expected to have. I think the thing that saddens me the most is that so many of these dire predictions of our future that I grew up with talked about the days that we would be controlled by the corporations and that they would completely dominate our lives, and that we would be in some kind of a lost dystopia. And I thought to myself, we're smarter than that. We survived World War II. We wouldn't give over to fascism. We had the trust busters. There's no way we would allow the monopolies to rise again. I grew up with, during the period where they got rid of Ma Bell and broke her up. Only to watch her slowly, like Frankenstein get pulled back together and sewn into the living dead entity that AT&T and Verizon are now. Yeah, they got some things right. 
we're no longer as nice as we used to be. And I'm not saying that just as a broad generality. I'm saying that as a cultural thing. One of my favorite shows is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and we're doing a rewatch right now because the new season came out. We watched the new season, and I loved it, and I wanted to rewatch the entire season from the beginning. And when they go up to Steiner, and they're having their wonderful summer together, I just turned to Brian and I said, you know, I don't even know if something like that could exist anymore because it's so wholesome. And people would maybe go ironically, because that's the thing that we do now. We enjoy things ironically, not because we actually enjoy them, but because of the thrill of superiority it gives for us to participate in things that we don't actually enjoy and to mock those who really do enjoy them. Yeah, we've lost a lot in the time span before, between the dreaming of the near-distant future and actually arriving here. We've had the arrival of the discourse, where everyone must be ideologically pure. And I must say that I can understand that impulse. I've had that impulse numerous times in my own life, where I thought, why aren't people smart enough to see the truth? It's just sitting there, staring them right in the... But I never thought I would live to see the day where we all had our own facts, and we didn't care about what was true as long as it made our side right. And that's a problem. And this isn't one of those things where I'm going to say it's a problem on both sides. Because it's not. It's a problem on multiple sides, don't get me wrong. You have certain people who just lie so that their side looks right, and there are those people that lie because it's fun to troll. Yeah, I'm not saying trolling is a new thing. I remember it from before the internet. We called it bullying. We still talk about bullying, but we've broken this one little piece off, and for some people, we allow them to think that it's a okay thing to do. So, in so many ways, it feels like we're living in those dystopian cyberpunk futures. The corporations control everything, and I mean everything. And they're buying more and more as the monopolies grow. The politicians don't care what the people say, only what the corporations pay them to think. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. I see that in my little small town. Desperately hoping for a better world, for a better life, and trying everything in their power to get there, though never seeming to actually move forward. Is this what we wanted from the near-distant future? Is this what we want for now? It's not what I want. But how do we change it? Don't worry. This isn't the point where I go off onto one of my political diatribes or start laying out some kind of a manifesto. I'm not naive enough to think that that would work anymore. I used to believe that that's all that it was, is you put an idea out there and the strongest ideas always win. And that's the problem. The strongest ideas win. It's not the right ideas or the correct ideas or the ones that actually align with reality that win. It's the strongest ideas. And this is where I think we, as fans, we, as creatives, we, as writers, need to realize what that means. H.P. Lovecraft told us, oh, so many years ago, the oldest and strongest emotion is fear. And the greatest of these is fear of the unknown. 
And we can see this being exploited every day for this, that, or the other reason. Get your insurances. You never know what will happen in the future. And we have an insurance for everything now. And I'm not saying that insurance is bad, but it's all sold on fear. Look at the marketing. Enjoy our products, because if you don't, oh, you'll be missing out. Fear, fear, fear. We have FOMO now, the fear of missing out. I don't remember FOMO when I was younger. We didn't fear not having access to things. If I didn't get a Sega, I knew a friend of mine would, and I'd get to play with it over at their house. Now, it doesn't matter if they have it. I have to have it. And that's a change in our perspective. Fear, 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 fear the unknown. Fear the stranger. Fear the person that's different from you. Maybe their gender is different. Maybe their sexuality is different. Oh, heaven forfend that someone's identity might not be identical to your own. Their ethnicity. Maybe the language that they grew up speaking is different. Oh, oh, heavens, heavens. There are seven, almost eight billion people in the world, and we're going to worry about language. Well, there's only 340 million Americans, which means there's a lot of people out there that don't speak my brand of American English. And I'm not even going to include everybody who speaks in English, because I've heard people talk about how they can't understand Australians or British people or South Africans, because the accent is just so overpowering. And in that way, we are truly living in Lovecraftian times, are we not? Everything's about fear of the unknown. Our politicians sell us fear of the unknown. The immigrant. The refugee. We should be afraid they're different than us. Look at those people over there. Does their skin color match yours? Be afraid. Be afraid they're different. You don't know how they're different. Oh, you don't understand how that works? Oh, that's because they're different from you. Be afraid. Be afraid. Be afraid. If only Cthulhu would just rise and eat us all already, then at least it wouldn't be a waste. But instead, we live in a world where Nyarlahotep walks our streets and the crawling chaos seeps into everything. I don't know what you're thinking. Charlie, it's the first of the year. Why are you being so melodramatic and sad? Because it's important to know where we are. Because all of that was 2019, and this is 2020, gosh darn it. And of course I'm saying gosh darn it because I want to keep my clean tag, but you know what I'm wanting to say, don't you? It's 2020. We're living in the not-too-distant future now. Which means we have a say. We can change everything. We can change the way we talk, the way we act, what we tolerate in those around us. We don't have to put up with the hatred and the fear. We don't have to allow others to try to control us by gating us off from those around us and making us feel different. We don't have to be afraid constantly. Because, really, fear is the little death. That's one of the things that Frank Herbert got so right. The Bene Gesserit Prayer. Fear is the little death that brings about total annihilation. I will face my fear, I will let it pass through me. And when it is gone, only I will remain. Because that's all that it is, it's a feeling. It's an emotion that can be exploited like any other. 
but it is strong, it is powerful, and it is old. And so if we want to have a better future, if we want to have a brighter life, we have to see the fear and recognize it for what it is. And once you see it, you learn to laugh in its face. Because like a good buggart, the thing that frightens fear is laughter. We make it ridiculous. I know what you're thinking, but you just did an episode about J.K. Rowling coming out as a turf. How are you quoting Harry Potter? Because I still like Harry Potter. Doesn't matter if she was a bad person. Or me have some bad thoughts. Gene Roddenberry was a philanderer, but I still love his fiction. He hurt a lot of people in his life. Everybody hurts people in their lives. But it's the things that we create, it's the things that we leave behind that last forever. Those are the things that matter in the long run. Is what effect did we have on the world? Does it matter what a person believed themselves if their work leads other people to have diametrically opposed views? See, we can't control what our work actually does in the world. We can't control the outcomes of a lot of the things that we do. But in the end, they happen. All the little things from the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s led us here at the dawn of a new decade, a decade controlled by fear, by cowardice, by those who fear knowledge and wisdom and compassion. So the solution is simple. We can talk about voting, we can talk about politics, or we can talk about the real problems here, which will clear everything else up. If people are afraid of compassion, then we need to be compassionate. If they're afraid of wisdom, then we need to be wise. If they're afraid of knowledge, we need to seek it out. This is how the resistance works. This is how the rebellion works. Learn from your Star Wars. If they fear the Force users, then find those who can use the Force. If they don't want you to see the plans to the Death Star, hunt down those plans and look at them yourselves. Find the weakness and exploit it to bring peace and justice back to the galaxy. You see, it's important that you realize how many people are wanting you to feel fear, to be afraid, so that they can hold you down. Don't miss my class, don't miss my lecture, don't forget to buy my latest book, or you might not be as successful as you might have been otherwise. No, no, I'm not giving in to your fear. The fear that you are trying to give rise to in me has no place in my life. And as we reject the fear that others are trying to instill in us, we find courage. Because courage, my friends, is the ability to leap over our enemies. See, this is one of the things that I learned in Tibet, that the word for, and I don't know if this is absolutely true, but I've read this in numerous places, that the word for brave for bravery, for courage, means to go over your enemy. And that's the secret, isn't it? To go over them, because most of the things that we fear, most of the things that are holding us back, most of the things that are holding us down, well, they have to be over us to do those things. But if we stand up, and if we have courage 
to be compassionate, to be kind, to be merciful, to reach out, to build a, a better world, to dream of a better world, to help anyone that we can, then we can make this a better place and make it the near distant future that we want it to be. We don't have to live in a dystopian future. We can make it a better one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you found some light at the end of this tunnel with me. If you did and you haven't already, please do rate this episode in whatever app you're listening to me on. It does help out a lot. If you have any questions or comments that you'd like to hear me address on the show, in the show notes you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean, and I'd love to hear from you. If you'd rather hit me up on social media, I am C.E. Dorset on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. If you've got a dollar that you can pass my way to help make the show better and make my life a lot easier, you'll find links in the show notes to both my Patreon and the listener support. That money really helps me do a lot. It helped me get the software that I'm now making the podcast with, which I think is making it sound better. It also helped me to buy this new microphone last year when my microphone died. Thank you so very, very much for everyone who already does that. And if you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, that's perfectly all right. But if you know somebody you think would like this show or anything that I do, please share it with them. That helps out a lot as well. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2020. This is the near distant future. And here we are. But above everything, let us not forget to have the fun. Bye.